Last Sunday, if you were here, I mentioned my 2015 trip with a group of pastors to the Holy Land. Another story from that, apologies, I know some of you have heard this. On the final day of that particular trip, a group of us went to St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Jerusalem, a church founded there in 1930, run by the Church of Scotland. And near the end of this service, two ministers get up to preside over communion. They say a couple prayers, the words of institution. They then serve each other, taking the bread, each drinking from the same cup. Then one minister puts the bread and cup back on the plate and proceeds to take a handkerchief out of his pocket inside his robe and gives a big old blow right into that handkerchief over the bread and the cup. It's obvious he thinks nothing of this large exhale into the handkerchief. And then he kind of takes some time and he wipes both nostrils, just standing there, making sure everything's clear. Slowly puts the handkerchief back in his robe, picks up the elements and prepares to come out into the pews. This is how they did it with the bread and the cup to serve all of us. I looked down my row of fellow pastors. We were right there kind of on that second row this side. Every one of them is staring at the ground wincing. <laughs> like a row of pastors. And I'm doing the same thing. And all we're thinking is, oh, and now we're going to eat and drink that, aren't we? <laughs> and we did. We, we took the sneezed over bread and dipped it into the sneezed over cup and partook as we had been told. But I thought to myself, as I looked down that row of fellow pastors, and I looked at myself, all of us wincing, I said, isn't that how it is so often? Give me Jesus. Give me the, the body and the blood and the living water that satiates like none other. No germs, please. <laughs> the first verse of our passage today points in precisely the opposite direction. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Actually, Jesus technically did not have to go through Samaria. Most Jewish people at the time, if they needed to travel from Judea to Galilee like Jesus was doing, they did not go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. The Samaritans, they were neighbors of the Jewish people. They even shared an ancestry. But at this time, they are different ethnicities. They worship differently. They interpret scripture differently. And in recent years, there's been some real and destructive violence known between the two groups. Enemies, truly. Jesus had to go through Samaria. The verb had is a Greek word that's often used to talk about the divine imperative. Jesus had to because this is God's design. God's design is not, not to go around, but right toward anyone we consider has germs, might be, is contaminated. The enemy. The Apostle Paul captured the implications of this truth in a beautiful way. There is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you all are one in Christ. With Jesus, the normal walls and divisions, they're gone. They've been broken down. Jesus has embraced the germs on every side and, and, and brought us as one. Or in Ephesians, Jesus has made peace and reconciled both groups, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross. These are beautiful, powerful, full truths of, of what Jesus brings together. The question, I think, always is, well, 
how does this work? I mean, what does this breaking down the walls kind of reconciliation actually look like? Because whether it's Jews and Samaritans or Jews and Romans or blue-collar, white-collar, baby boomer, Gen Z, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Republican, Democrat, evangelical Christian, mainline Christian, Longhorn Aggie, <laughs> Not supposed to say that. Now, see, now we're meddling, aren't we? Even that side of the living room and that side of the living room within the same family, there are people, and we know it, they're individuals and, and groups of people with whom we honestly have a pretty hard time. Some people whose, who, whose beliefs or actions or convictions are full of germs. People, honestly, we would rather usually travel around than through. If we're all reconciled in Christ, as, as Colossians 1 declares, how is this truth experienced on earth as it is in heaven? The extended conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is a glimpse of how the good news unfolds across prejudice, divide, even animosity. We hardly have time for all this passage, but let's just appreciate uh, one thing about this exchange. Jesus begins, you heard, give me a drink. As the New Testament scholar Dale Bruner points out, the real sense of the Greek here would more faithfully translate to English, would you please give me a drink? The tense here is not a command, it's an asking. Now we all know that, hey, this is Jesus, Savior of the world, water of life. But where does he choose to start, despite all he knows and offers? Not with an answer but a question, with a question where he's the one asking for help. He's the one putting himself at the mercy of the woman who has the water in the well, which is to say he leads by vulnerability. Can you imagine showing up to the other person, the other side, the other, and leading with a question, leading even with some way we have a real need for them? The woman responds with her own question. How is it you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Questions are setting this whole the table for this whole conversation to move with possibilities beyond the normal Jew and Samaritan dynamics of that time. Questions actually are what are getting this whole thing to the table, period. If you read through the Gospels and, 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 and look at Jesus' ministry, he asks over 300 questions. Which is to say, when the way, the truth, and the life shows up as good news, how often this way, truth, and life is made known by way of questions. Krista Tippett has been the host of the On Being radio program for over 20 years now. This program, or podcast at this point, has millions of listeners every week. And on it, she interviews such a diversity of, of people about essentially what it means to be human. She has talked with Maya Angelou and Yo-Yo Ma, Glenn Beck and John Lewis, Abby Wambach and Nick Offerman and Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. Truly a wide diversity of fields, expertise, perspectives. And what's the secret sauce here? Why do so many listen and, 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 and so many are eager to talk on this show? She observes, we, society, we trade mostly in answers, competing answers, and in questions that corner, incite, or entertain. 
In journalism, her field, we have a love affair with, tough, with the tough question, which is often an assumption masked as an inquiry looking for a fight. My only measure of the strength of a question now is in the honesty and eloquence it elicits. There is something redemptive and life-giving about asking a better question. The secret sauce is good questions. Life-giving, open questions. As we look at our passage in John 4, and we see how far and wide this, and deep this conversation goes, between Jesus and this woman, it's evident they have not started with questions that are meant to silence or win or corner, but somehow questions that invite forth an honesty. Not, of course, that this is an easy conversation, right? The woman's question, how are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink, is making clear this is not comfortable, this is not normal. The Greek implies she's pointing out he's a Jewish man, she's a Samaritan woman. Not only are we different ethnicities with a rivalry, uh, but, but this is irregular at best for a man to be speaking freely in public with a woman. And yet this dance of questions has begun, and from there you heard, we get kind of this back and forth. The woman misunderstands some of what Jesus says about living water and the free gift, and she asks a couple more questions, and the conversation then moves over into the personal and the five husbands, and then it moves over to the religious and where the proper worship is to unfold and how. So, so much here, but for this morning... I simply want to note that ultimately this conversation that you heard read is the single longest conversation Jesus has with any single person in all of the Gospels. No disciple, no Jewish insider, no reputable leader of the time gets near this airtime that an outsider, this woman, this person from the other tribe receives. If the preceding chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, famously declares, for God so loved the world, then chapter 4 makes clear that this love, when it finds expression, takes time. Love takes questions. Love takes the long conversation. Or how does Paul famously put it in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. A few weeks ago, I interviewed Ron Swain on our First Presbyterian Church podcast, The Corner of Change. Ron, uh, some of you are aware, is a longtime leader in the community here in Georgetown and most recently began serving as a chaplain at Southwestern. And he's talking about uh, the courageous conversations endeavor he's helped lead here in Georgetown, which uh, as a group that seeks to help promote a culture of justice and compassion in Georgetown. And one way they do that is facilitating these conversations around race and racism, conversations often fraught and anxious for many. And I asked about sort of the, the philosophy behind this group and what helps actually make for meaningful, just, good change in individuals and in a, in a people. And he said, conversations are the currency of change. With whom have we been in conversation these recent days? 
Any surprising or noteworthy questions asked of us in recent days? You know, living water likes to show up by way of questions. And have we found ourselves not going around, but somehow moved to, to go directly towards spaces or people or a person with whom we normally would avoid? Anyone on our heart this morning where, where we're wondering if the route is, is more central than we usually would do. It's strange, once living water starts moving in a people, it has a gravitational-like pull toward those we would otherwise easily write off as contaminated. And what if the next step in showing forth this kind of God-so-loves-the-world love, what if the next step is a good question? Or a few Good questions. What if questions are like the deep grooves of the land that let living water flow all the more freely? Living water is patient. Living water is faithful. Living water cannot help but move to and for and among all the wrong people. Thanks be to God. For God so loved the world. Amen.